Welcome to Season 6 of Talking Home Renovations with the Housemaven. I am your host, Catherine McPhail. I am an architect. I practice in Massachusetts. My specialty is additions and renovations to older homes. I'm especially interested in sustainable renovations and new technologies. This season, I'll be speaking with women in renovations. These women could be in construction, real estate, design. It could be homeowners with a story to tell. Each will bring her experience and advice to people who are planning a home renovation of their own. The first five seasons have covered all aspects of home renovations from foundations to roofing, sustainable renovations, DIY projects, how to hire professionals, and there are lots of home renovation stories and advice from all types of people. This week, I had the pleasure of speaking with Laura Parrish. She's a multi-talented woman who started off buying an Italianate 1855 mansion in New Bedford, Massachusetts, with little idea of what she was doing. Then she learned so much and made so many connections that now she is a well-known figure in the local preservation world. She owns three historic properties that she rents out while keeping her day job as an advertising executive. We talked about buying a first property, learning who to trust, who to hire when working on your property, who you can learn from, what did you think of if you're going to get into the hospitality arena. Her properties are amazing. Here's my conversation with Laura. Welcome to the show, Laura. I really, I'm so happy that you are joining me today because I can't wait to talk about your houses. Me too. Thank you so much for having me. This is exciting. You and I are not very far away from each other, uh, mile wise. Yes. And in fact, I probably live about a mile and a half from the whale house. Awesome. So how did you end up buying that beautiful house? Oh, goodness. Sometimes I just don't even really know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that that house found me. But in reality, um, I had been looking for a special property. Uh, I lived in Boston. I had um, an investment property in Chelsea, Massachusetts, which is just north of Boston, kind of another up-and-coming area at the time. This was a decade ago. So I uh, I actually was under agreement to buy a candy factory up Whoa. in Chelsea and wow. an old dilapidated building. <clears throat> Let me just say, I had literally no idea what I was doing. <laughs> I was, you know, in my 20s and thought it would be fun to... Mm-hmm do something a little bit insane as people do in their 20s. And I thought it would be really neat to restore this candy factory that I found. And unfortunately, the deal ended up falling through. Chelsea just wasn't really ready. The assessment wasn't proving to, you know, prove out. So uh, we ended up, you know, losing that property. I just went on Zillow and put in, I don't even know what kind of settings, you know, something old, a certain square footage, just set the radius really wide and mm. just saw what came up. And I saw the house on Zillow and it said that it was Herman Melville's sister's house. I had been to New Bedford once ever <laughs> before in my life yep. and knew that it was kind of a special place. I liked it when I went. I thought it was kind of a little tough, but really beautiful. I thought, you know, we had um, taken a ride around the neighborhood just to look at the different houses and they're all just so unique and so incredible. So when I saw this house, I just thought, okay, I'm going to go see it. And I stepped in the front door and immediately fell in love with it. Yeah. I can see why. Yeah. Uh, It was not cute. (laughs) 
(laughs) (laughs) when I first bought it, but uh, you could just tell that it was going to be gorgeous. Right. Here's my theory about houses from that period. I don't know if it's a great theory. I haven't really fleshed the whole thing out yet, but (laughs) so the idea that, that there's so much detail and character and um, ornate bits to the whole thing, that it's definitely um, a taste that there's a certain person who might like that and want to bring that out. And then, then there were certain periods of time where that was so not fashionable and just like your grandmother's house that was so out of date. And so people tried to strip it of, strip those houses that that era house of their detail to try to make it look Mm. more mid-century or whatever you know how people are always trying to change their houses to look something else yeah Yeah. so that's very funny that's an interesting theory uh you know i i will to add to that theory to help prove it out a little bit the house that i'm in right now we bought another historic house it's from 1690 the oldest born in massachusetts so very old but what's interesting about this house is different rooms were updated throughout time. Like in the mm-hmm. 1800s, there, there's all this paneling in one of the rooms. The floors were stripped of their king's blank. And it's very beautiful mahogany. I mean, it's gorgeous. Yeah, it's just um, not original. But they were trying to update at the time. Uh, yeah. The windows they had, they had updated in the 1800s. It's still older than the whale house. You know, the mm-hmm. windows are still older than the whale house. But... That was kind of, you know, en vogue. I remember I was talking to a historian at one point, and they they said that updating windows and doors and floors was very, you know, to keep up with the Joneses, sort of. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, I don't, all downstairs in my house, it was all updated at various points. In the 1800s, they changed the windows to two over, no, four over two windows at one point. So we have one of those left. It's a hodgepodge, wow. a hodgepodge of improvements around here yeah so it's just funny how that i mean it it's been hundreds of years for these houses right Right? so of course people want to put their mark on it and they like what they like so i get it but it's just um uh, sorry back to your house so right now you have three properties yes or three or four three properties that you you rent (laughs) you rent them all out or you're still working on the one in born right now so um we rent them all out so the whale house we rent out um via airbnb and have I've been doing that for five years. Mm. Um, different part of the house is so large, it's separated into a few different sections. So people can rent one side, the other side. Now they can rent the whole house, kind of, you know, depending on their needs. Uh, and then recently we just finished, my husband had a little 1940s cottage in East Falmouth near the water mm. that we call the Minnow. And we rent that out on Airbnb. So that's a really fun house we just finished. We did a very light renovation in January and got it up and running. It's very cute, you know, naughty pine cabinets, you know, there's some asbestos tile, uh, you know, it's uh, very vintage. Yeah. It's just, you know, you got the, the good yellow tile and all that kind of stuff, but it's really cute. Great little spot. And then we recently just bought this house in Bourne, very cool old farmhouse called old Crowell farm. Like I said, 1690, Really cool property. There's a uh, there's a windmill guest house back in mm. the 1900s. The owners built a a prototypical Cape Cod windmill, never working. Didn't actually, you know, it did never had any fans, but they wanted to have a beautiful windmill on the property, so that actually was turned into a guest house. So we rent that out. 
those are like the original ADUs. People built those little little yeah. buildings in their yards. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Our outbuilding is a as a windmill. <laughs> uh so is that how is that how you sequence it? So you live through each you live in the place that you're renovating and then you finish and then move on? Is that yes. your Yeah, I guess that's kind of um how it's turned out. Um I I wouldn't say that there's any rhyme or reason to any decisions I have ever made in most of my <laughs> life. <laughs> okay. But I think just as kind of a creative person and just allowing things to kind of happen as they do, like, you know, with the whale house, I, I really had no idea what I was doing. I just thought it would be cool to own an old house and, you know, go money, money pit style and fix it up. <laughs> I just thought yeah. it would be fun. Um, <laughs> and it is, but it's a little wild at the same time. And I never thought that in a million years that I would move out of that house and rent it to other people. Hmm. Um, but how'd that's that, just kind of what happened. How did that come about? Well, I had, um, I needed another mental project <laughs> and the house is so big. Uh, there's two separate sides, the main house side and the guest suite, the guest suite, which is what we call it is the former servants quarter. So it's kind of, you know, halved the guest suite side is more, it's more humble. It doesn't have the ornate moldings. The fireplace is wood. It's just a little bit, um, you know, uh, still gorgeous, but it was the servants' quarters back in the day, so not as um, you know ostentatious with the marble fireplaces and such. But I decided to turn that into an Airbnb space because it was it was so perfect, and I really I'm, I was only one person living in mm -hmm. a fifty six hundred square foot house. Whoa. There was kind of no point for me to have all of the space, so we you know I fixed that that side up. And started renting it on Airbnb. Also, because I, you know, I owning an old house is really expensive. Well, yeah, it is. <laughs> um, and I didn't have loads of money going into this project. I thought I would do a lot of it myself, but quickly learned that is just not not wasn't smart because I don't have any skills whatsoever other than I'm a good painter. But um, <laughs> I didn't want to put lipstick on a pig, so decided to fix that side up and just kind of you know. It was a little bit field of dreams ish. I had no idea whether or not people were visiting New Bedford. This was five years ago, so tourism wasn't as booming as it is today. New Bedford's a bit more popular these days, but I just thought it would be fun to share. It's such a beautiful house. Yeah, yeah, definitely. There's so much love and pride in New Bedford. It it's it's inspiring. I think that was one of the things that I, you know, again, I I lived in Boston for 12 years. I moved down to New Bedford. I didn't really know anything about it other than a lot of history has taken place there. And it seemed like a really cool place with a lot of creative people. But other than that, I didn't know a soul. And, you know, my, my neighbors are fantastic. The people in the community are fantastic. Everyone is. There are so many people there that are willing to lend a hand or willing to lend an ear or, you know, especially for me when I was first starting out, there were many moments in the very beginning days of owning that house where I thought I had made the hugest mistake of my mm -hmm. whole life. Everything was falling apart. The basement ceiling collapsed. I had no idea what I was doing. And I was like, oh my God, what did I do? And there were so many people <laughs> good that question. kind of put my mind at ease. Yeah. <laughs> a good question. Seriously, right? <laughs> 
Yeah, but New Bedford is, um, there's something really special and magnetic about it. Yeah. You have these three houses that mm-hmm. you've worked on, right? 1690, 1855, and 1940. So yeah. you must be learning a lot about working within different periods, or do you have you? Yes. What's your reflection on that? It's, uh, I'm always learning something new. It is unbelievable. So my, you know, obviously first foray into old houses was the whale house. So learning Victorian and just the craftsmanship around that was, I just had so much fun. It was so cool uh, learning about all the different kinds of wood, how they crafted things, the reasons behind stuff. You know, it, there's there's something so incredible about the way those houses were put together because each of them, and I'm sure this is everywhere, but, you know, every Victorian house that I go to in the neighborhood in New Bedford, each of them is just so unique. Even though I can go to another Italianate, um, which is what the whale house is, built around the exact same time and the interiors and the exteriors are just done. You know, everybody back then wanted to put their mark on things and just did things in such a exquisite way. And then when we bought this house uh, back in October, 1690, totally different, totally different. Um, craftsmanship was uh, the en- the engineering of how they made this house. So different from you know, 200 years beforehand, almost the way that they put this house together with the post and they actually had, um, taken this house from Dennis, Massachusetts, broke it down and rebuilt it here. Oh, wow. When did they do that? We believe probably around, around, you know, the early 1700s. Oh, okay. So we're not really sure. A really long time ago. Yes. It was, it was a new house back then. So yeah, it was. And it's amazing. You know, so when they built this this house, it was very small, um, and it was only probably one level with a loft. And then over time, they added to it. So when you go into the basement and in the attic, the two sides of the house. So I'm I'm in the left side, the right side over here are two buildings that are just put next to each other. They're not tied together. Mm. They're not nailed together. Oh, wow. They're just resting next to each other. And the way that they engineered this house to be able to to stand up and live, it's perfectly fine. You know, simplicity is the craftsmanship here. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. It wasn't a standardized, obviously. There was no building permits. There was no, like, standard way of doing things. There's no codes. Right. So people just like, hey, I have this way of doing it. We can just rest these houses together. Yeah. I mean, this house was probably built by here in, in Bourne was probably built by a community, whereas the house in New Bedford, the whale house was built by an architect who had a certain mm-hmm. style and then built by shipbuilders. And, and you can see that in the way that the wood is put together. It's just, you know, kind of those unique differences of, of how a house is put together. So which one's your favorite? Oh, I can't possibly have a favorite. <laughs> that's true. That's well, an unfair question. <laughs> what, are, what are the biggest, I don't know, lessons you've learned that you could pass on to other people so they don't have to learn the hard way? Someone once told me um, for the whale house to take it one room at a time, unless you're doing a, a, large, uh, a large project where you're taking out all the electrical or you're redoing the entire heating system or if it has HVAC or you know, those kinds of things, um, you know, just, just go one room at a time and don't try to do too much just so you can focus and complete and move on. I think that was 
that was specifically pretty hard for me in the beginning because you know I'm a designer, so my brain and I have wicked ADD. So I'm you know painting a swatch over here. I'm maybe thinking about putting the kitchen over on this side. Uh, uh, new project over in this room, you know, I had all these ideas and I really had to just kind of focus in and take it step by step. Otherwise it just would have never in a million years gotten done. Mm. I am very similar. I just want to know what that paint might look like on the wall. I'll paint a swatch. Then I know. So I don't have to finish it. It's done. Right. I've already experimented with that. And then we go on to, oh, this would be a great light for the upstairs hall. And suddenly I've abandoned the room downstairs and it, yeah, it's overwhelming. So that is it a great is. advice. I'm going to try that. Yeah. I like, you know, I, I think better when I'm, my mind is cluttered. So I think better when I'm not in a cluttered space. Like it's easier for me to to focus. So if I, when I was at the whale house, when I first moved there, I lived in the billiard room, which was cherry red that I hated. <laughs> and I started with that room first because it only needed paint, really. There wasn't really anything crumbling or anything like that. And I got that room set up. I played pool in Boston on a pool league in Southie for a very long time. So <laughs> I, I got a vintage pool table and got that whole room set up. And I worked from that room for a long time just so I had like a, I needed like a bat cave, you know? <laughs> yeah. No, that makes total sense because you can be calm in that room and it's pretty and it's done. So that, right. yeah, that makes sense. Right. It gives you hope. <laughs> yeah. It could all look that way. So, okay. That's, that's, that is also inspirational to me as I look around my not done. Oh, same. It's okay. (laughs) Yeah. Can I just ask, what's your, what is your background? So professionally, obviously this is what you do now, but. um, I do do this now, um, but I still do have a real life day job. So I have two real life day jobs. (laughs) And work all the time. Um, So I, my background is in advertising. So I'm a uh, creative director for an advertising agency out in California. So I'm wow. lucky enough to work from home. I've worked from home for seven years for the most part. And um which is helpful when you live in a place that's not in serious close proximity to, you know, Boston or a major city. And uh yeah, so design and art and, you know, problem solving are kind of all in my blood. Wow. I can't believe you have a day job or two day jobs. What's your other day job? Well, I mean, running, you know, oh, running, properties. running your several properties, <laughs> yeah. property management. Oh, yeah, there's that. That's small. <laughs> okay. And then fixing up the, the house that you're in. Yeah, this house is uh, the owner that was here beforehand did an absolutely incredible job. I mean, meticulous, uh, an old house lover. It was hard to buy it from him uh, because you could tell how much he loved it. and. Hmm. Uh, um, just an incredible person. So, you know, if you're going to buy an old house and a lot of the renovation is already complete, it was lovely to be able to buy it from somebody who obviously loved his house as much as we love ours. And I think it was easier for him to pass it over to us knowing that we would take care of it for him, you know, yeah. and have that sense of stewardship. So, we're thankful that a lot, I mean, there really isn't too much to do here. There's little stuff, you know, because it's an old house and there's always a billion things to do right now. Um, the roof is covered with moss. So our insurance's company is saying that they are not going to cover the roof anymore if we don't take the moss off. So 
my husband and our crew is uh is outside taking the moss off, which is why my dog is barking at them. <laughs> okay. So taking the just taking the moss off and not replacing the roof? No, no, the roof is fine. Um, it's just the moss. I yeah. like moss on a roof. I don't know what that insurance comp- company has I know, a problem with. <laughs> <laughs> it is cute. Yeah. It's it's hard to get insurance on these properties. It is. These older properties by the water. So hard. So hard. One thing I'm kind of curious about and other people might be curious about is renting out your historic houses. Is there any anything that you would tell people about before they try to do something like that? Absolutely. I would tell them a million a million and bajillion things. Okay. Where do I begin? Uh, <laughs> um, so if you're thinking about starting an Airbnb, Airbnb business, knowing go in, going into it, you need to be a little bit of a jack of all trades and understand that you're entering the hospitality business. Mm. A lot of people think that it will be really easy. I'm just going to rent out the space. And you know, it's just an easy, quick way to make a lot of money. It is the most excruciating way to make money. <laughs> no. But it's, uh, you know, it's also extremely rewarding, you know, having guests come into your old house and, and appreciate it for what it is. But I think a lot of people don't understand what entering the service industry or hospitality industry is really like. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you, you kind of have to be a little bit of a people person. Sometimes old house people aren't necessarily people. people. <laughs> mm-hmm. And also understand that, you know, depending on the, you know, complexity of the house or how much has been done, just understanding that guests are going to, you need to set your guest expectations in terms of what they're going to walk into. I think, you know, for for us, where we rent our houses, we try to make it explicitly clear, um, you know, it's an old house, it's a Victorian, it's not a hotel. If you want a hotel, totally fine. I love hotels. I love really nice hotels. Um, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. But you need to know that you're renting an old house that, you know, there might be a crack in the wall or there might be a scratch of paint. Um, a doorknob might be a little janky. Uh, you know, there's kind of, you know, the floors might be a little bit uneven if you have, um, you know, little kids, stuff like that, just so people understand, you know, what they're, what they're walking into. So their expectations are set and they're able to, I think at the end of the day, as a, as a host, um, and someone who takes it really seriously, I want to make sure that my guests have the most beautiful time. I want them to sit there and enjoy the history and, and understand it and be a part of it. That's so important to us. I want them to be able to have a beautiful experience there because it is different than renting a hotel. I want it to be different for them. Um, so I think just setting people's expectations is really, really important going in. And then, you know, you just have to also understand that most guests are going to be fantastic in terms of wear and tear on your property, but, you know, little things are going to happen especially with an old house, try not to be too precious about it. Um, but also, you know, set yourself up for success with, you know, insurances and security deposits and making sure that you have all that really lined up so that you're not kind of caught with your, you know, a deer in the headlights. And then, you know, we do, we also do a lot of film production rental. Oh yeah. Um, I saw that. That's very interesting. At the Whale House and here in Sagamore, we rent out the house for photo shoots, for film shoots. Um, really fun. Um, I think that 
for us, my experience so far has been really incredible, but also wear and tear from a film production company is going to be a lot more intense than an overnight guest, typically. Uh, So just prepare yourself for that, but also be very explicit about what can and cannot be done to your home Mm -hmm. um, and make sure you're working with really reputable people. You know, you don't want, you know, some D-list production company come in and, you know, wreck a bunch of priceless mantles or scratcher floors or um, do anything that can't be fixed, I guess. Um, So, you know, when you're uh, when you're thinking about renting your house out, it's important to not be entirely precious about everything, but at the same time, protect what's really important to you. It seems so much fun to have a a, a movie shot at your house or, uh, you know, yeah. have that be a location. But yeah, the reality is they could leave a lot of a lot of uh, some damage in in the end. Yeah, they can. Um in New Bedford, uh, we, we rented to AMC last year for three months, and they were incredible to work with. Just such an awesome group of people. They were incredibly respectful. They very kind, very down to earth, incredibly professional, and they did a great job. They, you know, didn't damage anything totally great. Um, here in Sagamore, in February, we rented the house for five days to a production company that was legitimate, but they ended up doing like $4,000 worth of damage. And I've been chasing them in litigations for a little while to to pay up. And um, I mean, it's fine. It's just kind of the name of the game, right? It's, um, it's not the end of the world. uh, But it is it is frustrating. and It is possible. I think a lot of people get scared by it thinking that people are just going to come in with like a, a bull and wreck the whole house. And most people are not going to do that. But you are working with other people that, you know, they don't know your house and, you know, you need to set there again, setting up expectations. You need to make sure that they understand. Yeah. Can we go back to you being a young woman buying this very large house in a city you really had never been to? Right. Well, once. (laughs) (laughs) And you were by yourself doing this too. So, uh, and as you know, this is, this season is about women in, renovation. So do you have any thoughts on how being a young woman starting off, how that was for you? If it made any difference, do you think? Or Yeah. Um, so I found it incredibly empowering. Um, I've always been really proud of the fact that I bought that house by myself. Um, I was married at the time, but I did buy that house all by myself. And I don't think there was nothing really gave me as much pride in knowing that I could do that. I mean, I was buying a literal money pit. Um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) And, you know, it wasn't that expensive at the time. But I think for me, you know, thinking about taking on that project and what I could do with it was, was my, you know, it was like the next foray into, into creativity. You know, I, I, I love designing things and I had never done anything in a three day space. I had only done things in a 2d space and I really wanted to see if I could do it. Mm. Most people thought that I was absolutely insane. My parents were incredibly supportive, but also probably thought I was nuts. Um, (laughs) They usually think I'm nuts most of the time, (laughs) but for me, it was like, it was like a test. Like, can I do this? Of course I can do this. There was a certain amount of 
courage and just complete craziness. I think that I needed to have to be able to take it on. And, um, I've always been very proud of that fact that, um, you don't have to have deep pockets. You know, I, I, I also understand that not everybody is able to buy a, a house like that. So I'm very fortunate and really grateful that, you know, I had a really good job at the time and I was able to purchase it. Um, but I didn't have like hundreds of thousands of dollars of reserves to restore this house. I had literally no idea what I was doing <laughs> and thought it would, I thought it was like, oh, I'm going to put like 50 grand into this house and it's going to be super great. Mm. Yeah. Well, I'm um, sure you did put 50,000 in oh, there. Oh yeah, no, I did <laughs> a few times over uh, by a lot. But I get questions about that on Instagram from people like, how did you do this? And I think just being a little bit dumb and a little bit tenacious kind of was the perfect mixture for me. Mm. When you turned to people for help, how did you find those people? Were they were they contractors or tradespeople? Yeah. Were they tradespeople or were they the people who knew the history of the house? I mean, who yeah. who do you turn to for advice on that? I mean, now it's a little easier. Ten years ago, it might have been less information out there. Now there was. Easier. So I think it was a little bit of... There's a little bit of testing things out in the very beginning. I had hired a few people that didn't understand old houses. And it was pretty clear from the beginning that of working together that I had, I had made the wrong choice. Mm -hmm. And that was tough for me to, to think about and overcome only because the whole point of me buying this house was that I was supposed to save it, not wreck it. Right. Like, yeah, no, that's the point of me buying it. But over time, I've found that um, reaching out to the community, um, referrals are so important. So um, I made, I got very involved in the community um, and joined a lot of boards for organizations that restore historic buildings or, um, you know, historic museums, stuff like that. And building up my network and building a community for me was paramount in finding people that would love to work on that house. And mm -hmm. I think that's, I had, um, a few weeks ago, I spoke at, uh, the historic trade summit in Providence, mm -hmm. uh, with, um, historic, historic Maryland. And there was another organization and I'm so sorry for forgetting it. Um, but really excellent conference and summit about, um, the historic trades. And they had asked me that same question about how, how you find, you know, how do you find the right people? Like, how do homeowners find the right people? The most important thing for me was finding people that loved old houses because there are so many contractors out there, interior, exterior, roof, basement, pest people, you know, whatever it is. And they don't care. They don't. They don't. Because they don't. Yeah. It's not cost effective a lot of the time. Old houses are, the, the labor is really intense and you have to have a certain amount of expertise. Um, it's really important to find the right people to work on your home. So referrals for me was super important. And um, just connecting with the history of the house, like the people who had worked in the house in the past who had done a great job. The, the last time our house was painted was in 1983 Whoa. when the house was an art school. And the team of people that restored that house were artists that went to the art school. 
Wow, that's so cool. That's great. It's so cool. And um, I ended up becoming friends with this man, Chuck Hawk, who is an incredible restoration artist and craftsperson. And he compiled a crew to repaint our house 40, 40 years later, 30 years. Yeah. 40 years later, wow. which we did last summer. Um, so for me, that was incredibly nostalgic, but also at the same time, like Chuck loves that house. I know he's going to do an awesome job and I love him for doing it. Hmm. Cause he went, he has a connection, personal connection to that actual house. Yes. Just, which is actually really interesting. I can see how it would be a school. It's a good size for a small school. Like that. It was. Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. Well, I could talk to you for days about this and maybe hopefully <laughs> I will get to in yeah. um, person. But uh, how do people get in touch with you? You're the, the Whale House on Instagram. Yep. Um, so people can get in touch uh, via Instagram. It's underscore the Whale House underscore or our website, which is thewhalehousenv.com. Um, we also have an Instagram for the minnow called the minnow Falmouth. And then our old house here in Sagamore is old Crowell farm. Um, but I'm most active on the whale house. Mm, okay. Well, obviously people could actually stay in your houses, which is pretty exciting. Yeah. As I mentioned before, I'm trying to think of some kind of retreat to have for like a five day retreat at your house. Doing Let's some do kind it. Of design thing. Yeah. Cool. I would love to. I don't I know what. That. I do too. Now I just have to come up with a, like which which thing that I'm interested in would I like to invite people to, you know? So anyway, houses Let's like that. You. Yeah, <laughs> we should. Fun. We should. Yeah. Any final thoughts? Um, no, I mean, if you're thinking about buying an old house and you have love for it, just do it. You'll figure it out. Thanks for listening to the podcast. I wouldn't be able to do this without you, the listener. I invite you to join me on Instagram at Talking Home Renovations, where we are building up a friendly community. Other ways to get in touch are in the show notes, including the weekly newsletter that includes photos from the episodes. It's kind of worth signing up for that. Talking Home Renovations with Alice Maven is proud to be a member of Gable Media, the most engaged AEC network on the planet. If you're into architecture, check out what the network has to offer at gablemedia.com. That is G-A-B-L-M-E-D-I-A dot com. Until next time, take it easy.